steadily, dogs. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Oh, yeah. I mean, get it, right? Grab it. Two hands, right? Bite down. It's Morning Combat back in your face hole. Wednesday, September 13th, 2023. We win awards for this, you know? Go figure. Brian Campbell with you, the BBC, with that BDE, that beige guy that has 1980s hair right now. I mean, look, I am just, wow, I'm looking like a, a hundred bucks at least. Uh, next to me, though, is the best damn sports combat analyst that they have here. Uh, he's from D.C. It's Luke Thomas. Luke, get fired up, all right? Hey, people write me a lot saying they want me to stop wearing the shirt, and I want them to know I'm not gonna. Well, so, you are on like a four and a half shirt rotation for MK. Yes, that is true, because uh, I'm on a four and a half ro shirt rotation in my life. Well, that's so, minimalized. Well, that, that's hot right now. Minimalized. I mean, seriously, like getting down to like just the bare bones. If you don't love dude, it, get rid of it. You know that. It's comfortable. It's. Uh, I like it. So you guys can keep writing me if you want, but I'm just gonna keep wearing it. Eat shit. I love you. Okay. All right, Luke. I wish you had the same standards for other things, but we'll stick by that. Uh, we got a great <laughs> show for you today. You know we're going to bang that drum for Noche UFC this weekend. And, of course, the women's flyweight title rematch. So much to talk about in terms of trying to figure out, is Valentina part of Luke's favorite stat club or not, right? We're going to see that there in the immediate rematch. We're going to also touch on... The, uh, the full bloom of TKO, the unity between WWF, UFC, Yay! and Endeavor, and what we saw yesterday, what we heard, and what that might mean. Also going to look back. It's been five years since 2018, right? Connor versus Habib. How much has the organization changed? Who's still standing from those days just five years ago? And look at your fan subs. But, Luke, it is a uh, merch season. I don't really have any on me beyond this fantastic mug. But this average Joe thing seems to be blown up in terms of collaborations, right? This is like, I don't know, like that time Pearl Jam and Neil Young got together to do that that record in the '90s, right? Like, like I said, it's the Judgment Night soundtrack, right? Oh, it's yeah. the Judgment Night soundtrack, which was one of the first forays into like hip hop and metal putting being put together. Um, yeah, so you know what, my daughter loves loves these shirts, but in particular, she likes the uh, the like the Ninja Turtle one. Yes, yes. And she told me, she's like, she's like, Poppy, you look like Raphael. And I was like, yeah, I do. Dude, you're a hero. That's fantastic. That's like a wholesome yeah. moment there in the end. Until MK she's world. a teenager and then she hates my guts. But for right Absolutely. now, I'm killing it. I'm killing yeah, it. Yeah, my dad says you have until 12, Luke, and then it's all over. And it's all yeah, over. That's what I've heard. Three. That's what I've heard. At 12, yeah, they take might... a turn and then it, you're cooked. And you and it may not come back for like 15 to 20 years. You know, that's why I got, yeah. that's why I have sons, Luke. You know, it worked out better, I guess, in that regard. But then again, if I had somebody as cute as Tukey, Luke, I would be giving her the keys to the car and say, I would never discipline once. I don't know how you discipline a, a an angel like that. You know what I'm saying? How do you talk to an angel? How do you hold her close to where wow. you are? <laughs> I mean, it's just, this is my wheelhouse there, right? That's, that's the heights of getting me excited. That's great. I love to hear that. Uh, don't forget also, if you want to vote for us, it's up to you guys. You guys have made us, right? How about for the third straight year, World MMA Awards? We're going for it for the three, Pete. Not one, not two. You can scan that QR code right now or go to worldmmaawards.com. A uh, friend of the program, Aaron Bronstetter, trying to make a, the impossible journey to unseat Ariel Hawani for MMA Journalist of the Year. Uh, my heart will go on whether we win or not, Luke, but I'd really love to win this again. I'd love to. 
it's been a, you know it's been a it's been a weird year it's been like a great year in boxing it's been a weird year in mma you know we're all navigating our own walks and ups and downs but if we could come out of this pile of mud or puddle of mud if you want to get 90s 2000 rock and carry that flag one more time this will be like what valentine is trying to do i get knocked down but i get up again right she's a tub thumper yeah listen we started the year strong with the uh, February show in London, and then I think this award ceremony will be in December. So we might be able to both start and end the year strong, despite it being one of the weirdest years uh, in my career. So absolutely. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, Luke, are you sleeping any better? Can can we give the, the people an update on that? Uh, okay, so it's funny you asked that. So last night, uh, Violetta crawled into uh, the, you know, parents bed because she just didn't want to sleep in her bed anymore. And then, you know, it was everyone was kung fu fighting in that bitch because she's just you know kicking oh, yeah. and, and everything else and turning. But but that aside, the sleep has improved dramatically, dramatically better. Nice. Um, so I'm on some sleep meds, not you, not anything with Unisom in it, but um, they're working. And uh, I'm even able like last night I went to bed and then didn't get up until the alarm went off, and that hasn't happened in a long time, except for maybe a little bit of vacation, but. In general, at home, it's much, much improved. I am very happy to report. Happy to hear that as a friend, but as a uh, co-host and part of this weird MK family, does this mean a, a happier Luke in the future? Uh, well, I mean, I'm sort of existentially just, you know, mad at myself <laughs> and everything else, but a, a, yes. a better slept one will be easier to get along with. I'll put it that way. There it is. And also, of course, uh, the label that pays us Showtime, you can get 30 days free right now by going to Showtime.com. I hope everybody has checked out the first episode of All Access Canelo versus Charlo. Of course, the pay-per-view is September 30th, Showtime pay-per-view, Undisputed versus Undisputed. But Luke, they pulled our voice in that All Access. Am I wrong? Somebody, somebody they, said, they pulled yours. Did they pull mine? Oh, I hope they did. But uh, I saw they you pulled, and I They, both they pulled mine. When, when I did that, those, when I did that last show on August 12th here in Oxon Hill at the MG GM National Harbor when I was doing the show with Breadman, they pulled a clip from that, but I think That's they made it. another one that was from the presser you did with Stack and Raul Marquez. I forgot that you were not at that one. Yes. Okay. So yeah, yeah. I did hear that promo you mentioned, but um, that gets me fired up. I know it's like a perk of the job, but Luke, that gets me fired up. I want to be part of the soundtrack for this incredible fight. Cause this is, this fight is mine. It's not that I wasn't jazzed for God, Spence Crawford. We finally got it. T Tank and Ryan. I mean, even plant Benavidez got me really pumped up as like a true boxing fan, but this is my fight, right? The history at stake, the balls, of Jamel, this is going to be something, Luke. I'm telling you, it is you, going to be right? something. We will be there on the ground as well, so that'll be exciting. And you know, fingers crossed, we'll see how it goes. We're going to try and do some extra stuff while we're in Vegas. You know, yes. nothing, I don't want to make any promises we can't keep, but that's certainly on the agenda if we can make it happen. Yeah, so be on the lookout. We'll see what happens. Well, I don't want to take what you can't give, Luke, but I will tell everybody about our bonus content one last time. YouTube.com/slash Morning Combat. Luke caught up with Eric Nixick, so you want to hear the inside dish on Sean Strickland's epic upset of Israel Adesanya. You can check that out. Uh, some great interviews as well that sometimes slip through the cracks. You may have missed pregame preview with Chuck Mindenhall. I mean, look, we're just hitting them. We're hitting them right. Oh, dude, Room Service Diaries with Matt Fravola. What a time to that? push. We're pushing out content like all the women in Cowboy Oliveira's life right now, right? <laughs> the Antonio Cromartie of MMA. <laughs> Yes, yes. We uh, are. Speaking of the Jets, he was like, dude, Roger's going to take us to the Super Bowl. Matt, I know. Yeah. I am sorry to report that he won't. 
I'm sorry yeah, to report that. Yeah, not or at least not Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, Luke, right, uh, right. But now it's up to that backup, right, to make some noise, to make a run. What's care. his name, Mikey? Whatever. I forget because I saw. The, by the way, Zach you Wilson? see, they were trying to contact. They were trying to contact my team to get the backup, Jacoby Brissett, Zach yeah. Wilson. Yeah, Zach yeah. Wilson. It's the Zach Wilson era, bitches. We'll see what happens. Yeah, for better or for worse, it's time. I'm acting like I watched the NFL, Luke. I don't. I mean, I am Sundays. You know, I, I watched I, Aaron Rodgers' entire season. It was about 75 seconds. Yeah. Uh, look, people hate extended intros, but look, it just really it gives me like good feels. Um, you're are you fired up for uh, the the damn Redskins right now? Like, are you like Commanders? Are you like all in? Are you? Well, like- I, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. Anyone's better than Dan Snyder. I don't know if Josh Harris is going to lead us to the Super Bowl, but uh, there's a lot of enthusiasm. They had a sellout in their home uh, opener. They barely beat a shitty ass team in the Cardinals, but yeah. they won. They won. So. Listen, I'm not expecting the world this season. I just, you know, Ron Rivera is kind of checked out and uh, whatever, but I'm very happy to be back cheering for the local football team. I'll put it that All way. All right, there we go. Back out of the shadows. It's Luke Thomas. Let's get into this program, though, today. And you know what we're fired up for. It's going down Saturday night. It's a free TV, well, free-ish, right? I'm excited ESPN about this Plus. card, man. Noche UFC, and obviously it's coinciding with Mexican Independence Day weekend, a a combat sports tradition, you would say, from, you know, De La Hoya, Mayweather, now Canelo, from the idea of them typically fighting on Cinco de Mayo, first weekend in May, and, of course, the second weekend here in September 3rd or whatever. I don't do the math. But my point is Canelo pushed his date, for whatever reason, back to September 30th. So UFC is making an aggressive effort in an area where there's so many Mexican-American boxing fans and really boxing fans on the West Coast come out in droves to Vegas for the big ones. So, Luke, you have to love the matchup on top of the marquee, of course, the immediate uh, flyweight title rematch, Alexa Grasso versus Valentina Shevchenko. This, it's weird, Luke, this should have felt like a bigger upset. Uh, rewatching the fight, I feel like, damn, I owe like Alexa Grasso so much more respect, and we'll get into that. That this does, you know, this didn't feel like a fluke, or it, it almost didn't feel like an upset when you actually watched the fight. But obviously, the reign Shevchenko had it felt huge, and we're on a run of crazy upsets right now. But even though you could have gone the next fight for for Grasso for any number of these big contenders on the way up, Lanchfield and Faro, dude, this is a real badass fight. And I really love what the UFC is doing, all things considered, taking it off of pay-per-view and making a run out of here. Uh, I love the card. I mean, you can, you know, is it the best card they've ever had or whatever? No, it's not that. But as BC indicated, taking it off pay-per-view, it was a huge upset the first time. It's a highly important bout the second time around. You know, the Mexican takeover in terms of the championship run that that we were expecting this year was kind of short-lived. But if Grasso can win, that will prove that there's some staying power to the whole thing. It wasn't a flash in the pan. Not that I thought that their Mexican scene hasn't arrived. I think it's more than arrived, but, you know, really, really kind of uh, uh, planting the flag about how good they're going to be for some time to come at the elite level. We shall see about Saturday. But something kind of interesting yesterday happened, BC, which was Dana White after the Contender Series uh, show, which I watched and was not good. Well, uh, let me back up a step. The first bout was really good, and everything after that, I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. But well, look, point I'm trying to make will is, be on every fight night card for the next two years, so I yeah, hope I you know. enjoyed the I was ride, just like, right? dude, what are the – I mean, some of the talent level was, like, very questionable. But, okay, neither here nor there. He was asked about UFC Noche, and what he had said was that they are going to evaluate whether this is going to be an ongoing thing because, remember, you asked, like, you, know, you didn't know why Canelo moved. Canelo moved his date because UFC took T-Mobile on this date first. That was the reason why they had already locked it up. He had, well, he didn't have to move it. I guess they could have had it at MGM 
or something else. But the point being is he took T-Mobile on this date, so he just decided to push it back a couple of extra weeks. Sure. So that was the big thing. They're going to see if they want to keep doing this, you know, on a, on a, on an annual basis. But what he said that they also might do is whether or not they do September 16th or Mexican Mexican Independence Day, they might do a Cinco de Mayo card. Now, what we should note, Cinco de Mayo is not a big deal at all. It's not a holiday in Mexico. It's more of an American or somewhat Mexican-American kind of thing. It's not really a Mexican holiday. Nevertheless, BC, you would agree some of the biggest fights in Mexican boxing that have taken place in the United States oh, yeah. have, in fact, taken place on Cinco de Mayo weekend. Canelo often, for example, does fight on Cinco de Mayo weekend. So I'll say this, the UFC leaning into this fan base, leaning into this tradition, mm, I won't say long overdue because it took a little while for the Mexican uh, MMA scene to really show itself to be world-class, but here they are. Now the UFC's taking a second look at it. I'm liking what I'm hearing. I really am. I am. I am too, for a, in a lot of ways. And just to remind, uh, May, Mayweather De La Hoya, Mayweather Pacquiao, both of those Cinco de Mayo. But Luke, this week is the 10th anniversary of when you and I met. Just a reminder, Canelo versus Floyd, which is was my yes. first trip to Vegas, remains my favorite fight week I ever covered because the Canelo fans came out in droves. Like that was the biggest, yeah. I always say it, but you have to remember, that was the biggest super fight since Mayweather de la Hoya, what, like six years earlier. So people were craving yes. it and they showed out. And I remember thinking like, is this how all Vegas fight weeks are? It turns out uh, it's not Luke at all. Also, don't forget <laughs> on that. Don't forget on that card. Danny Garcia versus Lucas Matisse, yes. which, was a, which was a very yes. fun fight. All right. Uh, here's a last point on the whole marketing of this and the push and the connection there to boxing, especially if they try Cinco de Mayo. It's not that we haven't seen somewhat regularly the head to head competition of a really big boxing pay-per-view on the same night of a pretty damn big UFC pay-per-view. I mean, Canelo Kovalev went up against the, the first BMF fight. We remember that very well, but even wasn't Spence Crawford Luke the same night as a pay-per-view just recently. Do you mm -hmm. think the UFC is now going to like, not just put out a card on the same night, but try to make Cinco de Mayo a major for them in the same way boxing did. And will we see potentially like the biggest boxing fight up against the first or second biggest MMA fight on the same night? I mean, here's the problem that MMA is up against, right? This is the problem. Um, one, Canelo is still arguably the biggest star in the sport and has been champion for a long time, has been a star for a long time. He's just a reliable boxing institution for Mexico. Like you just know it's a, if he's the, it's like, you know, it's, imagine Conor McGregor being more active and then like being able to compete in Ireland on occasion. Like it's just it's just reliable as a thing like that. It's, it's not that's not a one to one comparison, but it's something kind of like that. And so, you know, you can really plan around that. Plus, just the amount of Mexican talent in boxing is like overwhelming. I mean, they're just one of the biggest you know, countries in terms of success and, and then just population wise, how many how many people in boxing overall, how many active boxers are of Mexican descent? Like a shit ton, right? A, a, a right. whole lot. In MMA, it's just harder to plan around that because, dude, it's hard to hold on to a title. There are so many variables. The game moves so fast. So I can understand why the UFC is like excited about it. And at the same time being like, let's see what we got, because do you want to do a UFC Noche, whether it's, you know, Cinco de Mayo or Mexican Independence Day, whichever whichever holiday you want to pick, if you don't have any Mexican champions. And imagine you don't even have any Mexicans in the top five. Like, that can happen, and it can happen quickly, too. It doesn't take right. very long. So yeah. it's just a more reliable thing in boxing than it is in MMA, and I think that's some of the trepidation.
But you got to say, right fighter, right time for the UFC to try this with Alexa Grasso. And before we get into, Luke, the whole idea of Shevchenko trying to show that, you know, it was either a bad night or or she got outbeat or whatever and regain it and see where that fits in in recent history. I want to bring up the line here to start talking about, you know, look, I, I put on my Dom Cruz hat and my Luke Thomas hat and I took the advice, Luke, and I went back and rewatched the first fight aggressively and, you know, rewatched key sequences many times. And Luke, I got to tell you this very, very fun fight, by the way, from like a X's and O's countering each other and, and that sort of way. And, you know, really both trying to find what is the strength that's going to get them the victory. And don't forget that it did appear Shevchenko was up two rounds to one in round four at the time of the submission. But this line currently for Caesars, our friends, plus 145 for Alexa Grasso, minus 170 for Valentina. Luke, as I rewatch this, clearly Valentina uh, relied on the wrestling to sort of take the lead on the cards and be in this fight. But she was getting pieced up on the feet in ways in, in, in a in a more aggressive way than I remembered in hindsight. So obviously I have to do a white belt. Mia culpa. And I do over-reference the idea that it was a Shevchenko error or misstep that opened the door for, for Grasso to steal this fight. Uh, I did lean on that in an ignorant way and saw some people making comments. And you're right. Upon rewatch, Luke, it's a reminder. It's a swift punch in the face of how much Grasso had evolved entering this fight and how tough of a performance she put out that I'm here to tell you from my white belt eyes, I actually think Grasso should be favored heading into this rematch. Because even though Shevchenko, the true tried and true champion, made the necessary adjustments to to find a path in this fight, Grasso was outworking her, outlasting her. And I think Shevchenko finally found like her match and somebody who had a better gas tank than her. And I think that played into huge about how Shevchenko's wrestling advantage early started to fade in the second half. Um, I, I really I think Grasso should be favored here. Am I crazy? Crazy? I don't think. I mean, listen, she's not an underdog by a substantial margin. You know, it's a, would you say, plus 145 for, yes. for Grasso? That's not, you know, that's pretty close to being, um, not the favorite, but, you know, close to a pick at a bare minimum. I somewhat understand that. Again, also betting lines are designed to induce betting. So there's there's that as well. I, 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 I'll say this. I understand where Vegas is at on this one. I mean, this is really what it comes down to, BC. If you watch... I went back and I watched all of the takedowns that Valentina got in this fight. So here's what Grasso did that had success. If you notice, she was able to get a big one-two on her, right? Why? Because you have, if you're, so she stands southpaw, right? So um, not, well, Shep, Grasso goes back and forth, but Shevchenko stands southpaw. So what she'll often do is she'll paw with that lead hook as like a check hook or she'll jab to try to intercept, but she uses that. To, to kind of counteract people. And she doesn't step off at an angle with the check hook. She does it quite linear. And so what ended up happening was you would see Grasso go in with a big jab and then the cross would come behind it because it would be able to get the inside lane and it would, from the speed of it, it would beat the hook. So they had a whole game plan on beating her hook or beating sure. her jab, depending on what she wanted to do with it, from her, with her right hand. And it worked beautifully. But in order to do that, whether it was from the southpaw stance or the orthodox, and she got the takedown on both, she had to take a big step. She didn't just jab from the outside, just you know, you know, pulling the shoulders back. She took a monster step in, and and if it was the step in off the cross, whether from southpaw or whether from orthodox, right? And that's when she got under it. So it's like, on the one hand, they built a striking game that was very precisely built to get to the problems, uh, or I should say, the deficiencies 
of Shevchenko's style. However, that particular style opened up the wrestling game very particularly for someone like Shevchenko, who's got A, good wrestling, B, is physically strong, mm -hmm. and C, has good timing. They've got to solve that problem. How do they land the strikes without opening up the wrestling as much? Because I do think BC, she can get better at the wrestling. I do believe that. But the physical difference, that's going to be hard to overcome with a single camp. Here's what I'll say about that physical difference, though. Was Valentina having like, un, you know, like she was having unguarded success taking her down for a stretch? Yes, of course. She was taking her down at will in some points. She was not able to translate that into offensive success in top position beyond a couple spare shots here and there. She never, I mean, I know there was a submission threat, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything too crazy or gnarly. And Grosso was not only really working to get up and in a lot of positions would get up and then land the big clean strike off the clinch, but I think she matched and overtook the gas tank of Valentina and nobody does that to her, that that is the real issue underlying at the end because her takedown defense went from non-existent to like the key to that fourth round to set up, you know, look again, it wasn't, I, I over, I over talked about the mistake. This wasn't the mistake Weidman made against Silva or, you know, Chael Sonnen in the Silva rematch. Uh, it was, you're right. The people were right. The critics were right. Valentina tried to attempt a, sh a strike that she lands and tries often and it was just perfect execution, timing, and knowledge from Grasso. But I don't think that moment happens, Luke, unless Grasso kind of visually wears Valentina out by being able to accept the takedowns, but really not be in vulnerable spots. Now, vulnerable enough to lose rounds? Yes. But I think we people really need to go back and watch what actually happened in the exchanges on the feet. Because Grasso was outshining her huge. Yes, Valentina could land key shots here and there. But Grosso's boxing was way ahead of Valentina's there. I mean, they were, yes. you know, it was a competitive, even fight. But when she rocked her with that two punch combination in round one, that was a huge mes message to Shevchenko and turned the, the path in this fight. Obviously, Shevchenko is great enough to make the adjustment, as I said, and still be ahead on the cards at the time she was losing. But she was not the fresher fighter. And I do think that played a role. And when we look at Grosso, it's not just the evolution of her game, her gas tank is sick. That's the thing that jumped out to me. Huge rewatching that first fight. She's built herself up to be a tank. And yes, obviously she's going to have to work on some takedown defense techniques, but she's not just a dog in the sense that like, if this becomes a war, she'll be fine. She's a smart, intelligent, like machine out there. Like reminding me of Whaley, who's just like a physical presence. But Luke, the thing that Shevchenko always does best is she's got a complete game, but it usually always comes off of the success she has in striking. She was not having success in striking here. Not any kind that that changed the momentum of this fight outside of some leg kicks to the body. And I think if you're Team Shevchenko, you're going to really want to amp up the leg kicks in the rematch. Leg kicks to the body? I'm sorry. Kicks to the body and kicks to the calves. I, I do that often. Obviously, I think that should be a part of her style to try to, to try to make the striking a more even basis. But, dude, correct me if I'm wrong. Grasso was well ahead of her in the striking and when when Shevchenko can't lead with that to have success to take to set up takedowns or to set up you know high kicks or some dangerous strikes, she's not as dangerous. She had a younger, hungrier tank coming after her who had the intelligence to create the moment to end the fight. But I think in this rematch, Grasso set up to have big advantages on the feet, in my opinion here, Luke. And I think it's while this upset came in succession with the one we just saw last weekend with Strickland and Adesanya, I don't think the comparison here is necessarily just the fact that it was champions we didn't think would win. Obviously, Strickland, we thought much less of a chance that Grasso had. But I think it's the 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 
improvements in boxing across the board that this might be, and I've, we've said it before, it's not like I'm reinventing the wheel, but it really became evident to me watching this fight off the heels of Strickland's fight that that's the area where people are, that's the next area where people are leveling up huge. And think of the success Shevchenko has when she can constantly get off with strikes she needs and change the dynamics and, and bring the advantage in her favor. When she can't do that because the defensive Grasso is so legit, but the 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 footwork, the MMA stance, Luke, as we know, depending on your base, a lot of times you're squaring up. You're there to be hit. Think of how many guys we love, like Ortega or whatever. Defense is really just not an active part of their game. They get pieced up. Valentina feasts on fighters like that. She knows she can piece them up. Grasso has a boxing stance. She's able to dart in and out and set up shots and make herself feel a lot longer with those overhand lefts that she is a problem for even the great kickboxers like, like Shevchenko in the same way that Strickland's awkward, consistent pro boxing style in a way was a problem for the kickboxing style of Adesanya. Because if you can get the kicks off, it's not going to be a problem. You'll level the field. But if somebody's got that boxing footwork and get in and out and you can't land clean, that changes that dynamic instantly. I have a few responses to that. Mikey, first, let's talk about the, the takedowns here just one more time, and we'll circle back to the striking component of it. I believe we have a full screen graphic for this. So these are their historic takedown numbers, not just from the last fight, but overall. Takedowns per 15 minutes. Grasso, obviously not a dynamic takedown threat herself. Valentina, almost good for one around, which is kind of what we got. Not quite. Yeah, it's more or less what we got. In the end, takedown defense, 61%, not very high for Grasso. I think that is going to be a problem. Obviously, I don't think that Valentina Shevchenko is going to be facing um, much of a takedown threat herself. And then from a submission, you know, neither is a, a gigantic threat per 15 minutes, although we do know that Grasso won this one via submission um, and did so quite ably. So, you know, you wouldn't want to dismiss it, but like, is it, you know, she's not... She's not Hodger Gracie or something like that. Okay, but those are the career numbers. If you're asking about the last fight, she got four of six, Valentina did. She got four of six. She got two in the second, two in the third, and then she went 0 for 1 in the first and the fourth. So something to be said for that, like if you're asking what the numbers were. But BC, you, at, you, you made something kind of interesting. She's like, she got outstruck. Well, she got qualitatively outstruck um, on the feet. I would agree with that in general, in general. But listen to this, you know, and again, we don't know what the judges saw. I had to look up what the, I don't, you know, I should have had the judges, what they had scored up to that sure. point. But nevertheless, Valentina numerically, now not qualitatively, but numerically outstruck her in every single round. These are the numbers, 26 to 24, round one, 12 to seven, round two, 27 to 15. Now, granted, a lot of that was on the ground. But even in the round that she got finished, she was ahead numerically, 22 to 13 and in fact while Grasso threw more 308 to 228 for uh Grasso to Shevchenko so she threw more she landed significantly less so even though Grasso threw nearly 100 more strikes she landed 59 Shevchenko 87 right dude, so there is an a alarming work. stat but yeah hold on, hold on, hold on. Know, my point my, my point being uh, is that I agree with you that like what I took from that fight was wow dude I mean Valentina was getting hit with stuff you just never see her get hit with big shots and big shots in combination I totally agree but there's a work rate issue not just on the ground or at a bare minimum an accuracy issue because I think Grasso throws a lot of volume that doesn't go anywhere and I do wonder if this goes to a decision even if she's able to stop the takedown does that accuracy and that overall ability to land more win her some of the judges favor we shall see 
Well, I think we have to also take into account and how it relates to this conversation that she's rising. She's peaking. She got, a, I mean, that performance, Luke, it wasn't fluky. It was a leveling up like Strickland's was. It yes. was a step up to a new level. I it do was. get what you're saying in how the stats counteract the vision I took away from it. But Luke, the key part for me was the defense. Now, the numbers aren't telling you that, but are, the, are those numbers counting calf strikes, which I, which can either be big or can be sometimes tapping throwaways? Because yeah. the strike, the only striking success Valentina really had were the kicks to the body, sometimes to create separation, sometimes just to mix in. But my point is Grasso was able to cut inside and not be there to be hit. Now that, you know, when, when Grasso would commit to combinations, Shevchenko so great, she could line her up and land a counter shot. And a lot of times they would have these big exchanges, but it was Grasso who was seemingly landing the cleaner and bigger shots. And I think once that power connected in the first round and Valentina got staggered, she became a wrestler quick. And I think she did that for a reason, Luke, because I think she saw the road it was going down. Does that fully explain? Now, the stats, are those also the ground to pound numbers? I'm Again, I'm not trying to imply that these, these, these don't matter or shouldn't be considered in the scoring. But I did think on the feet there was a marked difference, especially in the boxing. And yes. that Grasso is... She's getting great fast. This was not the fighter we saw one division below, right? We saw certain elements of it. But, dude, her her ability to put on that submission in that moment, it felt like Habib against Gaethje, right? It was just like, damn. I think sometimes we love to lean on what aging champions have done more than sometimes, right? It happened to Usman. Like, I know Adesanya won back his belt, but then he, we just saw him lose it again. When they're getting near that 34-35 and Shevchenko's 35, we just think they can keep pulling on that, Luke, and, and finding the greatness. But I think sometimes it comes down to how good is the younger rising challenger. And if anyone has a chance to level up more, even entering this rematch, I actually think it's Grosso because I think her confidence has got to shot up huge from this performance. I did see the scorecards, and they did align with how I saw it. 29-28 for Shevchenko on all three. That's yeah, about she, right. Mm -hmm. She did win two and three with wrestling. There's no question. And she also got robbed, I thought, from a bullshit stand-up from Jason Herzog, which came right in the middle of her punching twice to the body and then trying to come over the top. So, again, that explains, you know, the, the success she did have on the ground. And, and maybe that adds to the striking numbers. But um, all this is to say, Luke, that I'm really excited about this rematch. And I'm really questioning the great Valentina because it's not just – can she make an adjustment or whatever? I think she might be outgunned here, Luke, in the key, in the most key area on the feet. So it's going to be up to Grasso to, 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 to keep it there, ultimately. I will say this, which I find kind of interesting, which is if you look at strikes per round by targeting, so what were they aiming for? Now, of course, if you're aiming for the body, that could be a punch or a kick, but just a leg, it's hard to punch a leg. So all of those would be leg-to-leg -leg contact. Interestingly enough, Shevchenko landed seven of eight in round one, so that's pretty active. But listen to this. Two of two in round two, one of one in round three, and then one of one in round four. Now, there was a takedown attempt that Grasso had in round one, which she couldn't get, so I wonder if she was a little hesitant to target the leg. I, I suspect that there might be more of that this time, right? Because if she's stepping heavy with that jab that's going to be somebody you're going to want to counteract if you can find a way to do it getting your head off the center line at the same time that when she comes with the cross rather than just trying to wrestle her that'll be interesting but to your point that wasn't very heavily targeted that wasn't a thing that she threw in and she threw a lot in the first round and then completely abandoned it basically through the rest of the fight that is going to be a key battle a key battle next time but I, I think your general point that like basically Grasso's positioning and boxing kind of beat Valentina's kickboxing, if we can say it that way. Yeah. 
you know, was that a was that the story of the stand-up? In general, yes. In general, yes. And what's funny about that is, now I'm no kickboxing expert, but I have seen a lot of discussion within the kickboxing community, anecdotally anyway, that you know, there's a there's some guys who are having success just kind of boxing their way through a lot of these kickboxing elements or these kickboxing fights or fighters, and it's sort of having a surprising level of success. I don't know how widely true that is. But uh, there, there might be something more to this idea. And I do think in MMA, you're seeing these guys who have these boxing-heavy styles. And the trade-off, of course, is that they do get hit a little bit more than often. But they're able to pressure. And if they've got good accuracy and combinations, really leverage that for sure. a lot of success over time. And Grasso, in this particular exchange, she didn't, you know, there's, there's ups and downs to what she did. But she was able to make use of it, make no mistake. So I do think that broad-stroke view is basically correct. Yeah, and, and it's not lost on me again that Shevchenko was up on all three scorecards uh, at the time of the stoppage in round four, but the momentum in my eyes had shifted. And as big as of a moment, that first round exchange was where Grasso landed the three-punch combo and Shevchenko was physically rocked. And it's like, oh shit. I think an even bigger moment happened in round two when Shevchenko started to take her down with ease. And do you remember, Luke, what's the term? I don't know what the term is. It grapevine when she takes the the ar the other arm of Grasso and pins it between her legs or setting up the crucifix, right? Crucifix, that's yeah. essentially mm -hmm. what she was doing. That's the area, Luke, where the B, B plus, even sometimes A minus fighters that are going to go up against Shevchenko will crumble. She was stuck down to one arm, and that was when Shevchenko had the most striking success in that exchange with the with the ground and pound. And it did look like a, a weary moment. The fact that Grasso bounced out of that and then was the fitter fighter because Shevchenko really took a foot off the gas due to fatigue in that stretch through round three. Even though she her guile won her round three, she had to work for it. And I think all the wrestling success she had in round two, yes, it won her the round, but it may have lost her the fight, Luke. It really did. So if I'm Team Shevchenko, dude, mm. I'm going to calf kick the crap out of Grasso to try to slow her down and minimize the effects of her movement because her movement sets up her boxing so well, her footwork. But I, I can't stress it enough. Like Strickland, her defense, different defense because it's more high guard the whole time where Strickland's more the shoulder roll Philly shell. But her defense, Luke, that's a huge reason why Valentina, that's, that's the reason Valentina became a wrestler in this fight. She couldn't get off, and she was taking more in terms of power shots in return. I mean, that first round was largely all Grosso. Let's not forget that. They had, a, like I said before, if you just look at the striking in terms of what the game plan was that Grosso and her team implemented, they had Valentina's striking weaknesses down to a T. Yes. They knew exactly what it was going to be. So to me... What's really interesting is, one, to what extent can she shore some of that up by changing things? And then, two, on the defensive end for Grasso, what can she do on the defensive wrestling slash grappling end to shore up some of those deficiencies and where they all kind of meet in the middle? It's a it's a yeah, I say this, you know, was it the it was it the most exciting fight? Well, it was actually a very good fight. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't fight. exciting. It was I'm just I'm good. just saying it wasn't like, you know, the most amazing fight you've ever seen in your life. Plenty good. But I will say this, in terms of the strategy and the tactical battle at play, this is a great test, not just of two fighters, but of two teams and what they can come up with to really solve this riddle for the, each, of their, each of their cases because they both got great strengths and very obvious weaknesses. And how they solve that, it will be a very, well, very fun test. I just want to say this about Valentina, who you know is now 35, but I think she's starting to learn something. I think there was a point, Luke, where if 
you know, Valentina is obviously she's skilled in every category. She, I mean, this is her life. She's in, she's incredible and everywhere. Right. But normally if she can't best you with technique, I think she knows at the end of the day, she's also in better shape than everybody. But the way Grosso's striking forced Valentina to wrestle, I don't think Valentina can win a five round fight just with the wrestling because she gave, that's why that moment in round two was so big. She gave Grosso her best shot on the ground. And she couldn't, you know, she couldn't get the submission or or the ground upon knockout. She really had no other success in top position. Okay, so if you can get takedowns and score rounds, how much is that going to cost you in the championship rounds? That exertion level well, against you, the younger fighter who is a a brick shit house, Luke. To be fair. Okay, but well you can ask it another way too, which is all right. Let's imagine if it goes five rounds, Valentina can win two of them on wrestling, but that's it. Can she get another one any other way? Um, you might think that she can. I can see why the odds makers think that she can, but I can also see why they think it's very, very, very close. Very close yeah. fight. I mean, sometimes the greats think Joanna in the second fight with Claudia, they can they can just lean on that that either that dog or that extreme world-class conditioning and just get it done and outlast somebody. If you can't do that to the younger fighter and that younger fighter, at least in their strongest skill, can out-technical you, that's it. It gets, it gets dicey. It gets dicey. So, well, look, a good transition here. At 35, what Shevchenko is trying to do, when you look at recent history, and I think the best comparison in this case, since it's the immediate rematch for both, would be just that. Although there's all different variations, and uh, Mikey and you and I this morning were throwing it all around to people. You know, the Moreno one, the first fight was a draw. That made it different. There's all different iterations. Even DC and Stipe, even though Stipe won the belt back immediately, DC had the title defense against Lewis in between. So when it comes to just the champion against the challenger, they have a transaction and they run it immediately back. What do those... What does history say about Valentina's chances here in your eyes? So these are the ones that did it. Randy Couture versus Belfort from 46 to 49. And that was an interesting one. If you guys don't remember, so Vitor Belfort, like the first punch he threw, it hit Randy in the eye and it actually, uh, it didn't just cut the eyelid. It separated the eyelid almost from the eye, from his face. So his eyelid was dangling. They had to go and restitch the eyelid to his face. Yo. Um, and it was like the first punch he threw. So it was really, really, really weird. And then when they actually fought for real, Randy beat the the brakes off of him. And then you have Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena. We all saw what happened there. And then uh, Izzy and then Alex. And we all know the story there as well. So if you look at the Randy one, bit of a fluke. I would call that a fluke circumstance. If you look at the Juliana and Amanda one, um, semi-fluky, right? Semi, semi-fluky in that Amanda was not like, you know, fully ready. And you know what, 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 again, when you beat one of these great fighters, you got to beat them twice. You got to beat them twice. That's really the, the, the issue. And so if they can make adjustments, what does that do to the fight? And then in the last one with Izzy, it was the fourth time he fought him. So he yeah, really had different. three different chances yep. to kind of get a look at him. This is different meaningfully from all of that. Cause Shevchenko looked to be in great shape for this one. And you know, uh, did win two of the rounds. And like, there's there's a lot you can look at where you're like, damn, man, like, you know, I can understand why this one doesn't fit the other one. I would say that it bodes reasonably well for, for Valentina. But the big difference, BC, is that 35-year-old marker. And again, it's not an iron, you know, yeah. uh, it's, not, it's not a rule written in stone. It's not biblical. It's not what we're saying. 
it's a helpful demarcation line that sometimes can tell you the difference between winning and losing, especially at the more elite levels yes. when the margin is very, very thin. So I, I go back to it, dude. I can see if you have like, you know, Valentina as a slight favorite in your mind, I understand that. And the, the converse I think could be true just as easily. Like well, this is a yeah. really close fight. Am I am I trying to heavily paint Grasso's chances here? Yeah, because maybe because I I watched it differently in real time and now rewatching it, I'm like, damn, she she knew what she was doing in that fight. But Valentina obviously has to have a certain level of confidence too that at least she was winning in that situation. Can she turn the tables there? It's hard to compare to some of the other ones that kind of qualify here, Luke, because even the Dice Stipe, you're at Stipe. Dice wow. Stipe, you're in uh, Dice. Wow, wow, you're in the territory where. You're old and you're at heavyweight, but age doesn't really matter. But I do think, Luke, DC in the second and third fights against Stipe, age kind of caught up with him from the standpoint of nagging injuries, and he didn't have the same stamina to be able to keep on the wrestling success in the rematch with Stipe that he had in round one. And Stipe was just fresher at this older age. Um, I don't know if there's any kind of equal comparison there. I mean, Robbie Lawler kind of did this. Remember, he lost the vacant title to Hendricks uh, and then won it back, but it wasn't an immediate rematch for both, only for Johnny. He had a couple of tune-ups in between, did Robbie. So, like, in just in this terms, the first fight was so close, and Valentina's the betting favor going into the second. Didn't work for Kamaru, though. And I know now he's coming out and saying, like, I shouldn't have taken the, re the, the trilogy against Leon so quickly. But at some point, you level out with age, and it just comes down to, is the person, the younger fighter you're fighting, are they great? Are they, you know what I mean? Are they pound for pound great in this era? Like, churned out Leon Edwards was, and, you know, he he found a way to to make sure that second fight wasn't a fluke at all, you know? And um, this is interesting. If, if Valentina can do this, Luke, how much more do you think this adds to her legacy? Because it's not only doing it at 35, but... It's always a badass move for the champion to lose the title when they're aging, but then come back and win it. Think Muhammad Ali, Leon Spinks, right? That's a badass old guy move. Now, in this case, it's an old lady move, but I ain't calling her that, Luke. Not under yeah, one loser. more time, Mike. If you can throw up the ones who lost it and then also lost the rematch. I mean, look at the guys who couldn't do it. Now, I actually thought these, BJ These won are just the notable ones. There, there's much more than this, obviously. Fine, fair enough, fair enough. But just look at the names. BJ Penn uh, couldn't get it done. Frankie couldn't get Although I thought Frankie won the second of those for sure. But sure. Anderson got finished twice, although one of those was obviously an injury. Jose Aldo did get cleanly finished twice by Max. And then you have the Ioana fights. And then Kumaru, obviously, uh, having what's happened to him, you know, getting head kicked and then not being able to reclaim it. It's just... It's just remarkable. You're talking about some of the best fighters who have ever done it, who like when it's time to go, like you get old overnight in the fight game. You know, they really do. Like sometimes guys, you know, slowly age out. That can happen. But the elite ones, the margin of error is so minimal that any kind of drop off or any kind of ascension of a rival, it can mean just a profound difference in the results themselves and the outcomes themselves. And so, you know, if Valentina can get it back, I mean, that would just be, I mean, hugely impressive. She's already the best women's 125 fighter in history. I don't think that's, yeah. you know, for debate. So winning it doesn't change that if she gets it back. Nor does really losing it again, actually, because she would still be that. But it would also just tell you that if even the great Valentina Shevchenko can't get it back, Dude, father time is a uh, yeah. he's a bitch, man. And you, here's what, like, I don't think Valentina is going to get old overnight in this rematch. If 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 my hunch on Grasso just you know coming on and peaking and and having a chance to do it again is true, but sometimes remember the first Roy Jones Antonio Tarver one. Roy won that first fight where where he was kind of he was heavily affected by cutting back down from heavyweight. 
he won that on like the fighter deep inside the warrior because Tarver had his number early and he used every veteran trick he had to pull off that win. And then in the rematch, Luke, you saw what happened, right? The the younger, fresher Got fighter who is tonight, Roy. Yeah, who it meant more to came through in a big way. Same thing in a in a weird way with the uh, Chocolatito Srisaket Sorung Vasai. First fight was just this bloody war that could have gone either way. And in the second one, SSR sent him to hell. Um, sometimes that happens, Luke. Do you do you think there were any elements from Valentina where she may have exhausted all options in trying to hold that lead? in that first fight. And I know she lost it. She got stopped sure. there, but did you, do you still see her as being as prime as she was just three fights ago? Let's say, cause now no. it's been a couple, a couple close ones here with Tyla. And now, this no, one. no, the, 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 the division has matter of factly caught up with her again. We'll see if she can, you know, extend her magic on Saturday, but like the difference between it's the same thing with Izzy, dude. It's the same thing. It's like, you know, do, can Izzy win in the rematch? I think he could, I think it'd be foolish to, to think he couldn't, but at the same time, you just look around and you're like, have his contemporaries at a bare minimum shorten the gap. Or in the case of Valentina, have her contemporaries massively shorten the gap between which or relative to what she used to enjoy. There can simply be no doubt. There can simply be yeah. no doubt. So even if she gets it back, I don't think she's uh, you know, gonna go on some other long reign. I just it's just not it's just not really in the cards. But before we transition, I did want to show one graphic if we can, sure. BC on Raul Rosas, if you want to get touch on that. If we well, can. we haven't talked about that fight yet, but I, yeah, sure, Luke. Go. Well, for do you want do you want to get to it now, or do you want to? What do you want to do? Uh, I did have one more thing I wanted to tell you, but I forgot it. So let's get right into it, Luke. Let's keep going. I, I don't have much to say about this fight. I haven't looked at the odds. These are the striking stat. Uh, these are the total stats. If you're asking who's who, Raul Rosas in the uh, left hand column and his opponent Terrence Mitchell in the right hand column. But just focus on Raul Rosas Jr. for a second. Strikes landed per minute. He lands less than one a minute. I mean, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen that in the UFC before other than his opponent, which is also that way. And then he absorbs more than he takes. And, of course, if you look at his opponent, it's, like, lopsided in that way. But if you didn't look at the grappling, they both are good for a lot of takedowns um, and, you know, uh, more submissions on the side of Raul Rosas Jr. Thank you, Mikey. I appreciate it. I just want to point this out to say two things. One, I mean, it sort of shows you his game is just, like, get the back and hunt for the submission. There's not sure. the sophisticated other parts of it that need to be there, like ground and pound, other forms of control, striking on the feet, setting it up. It's just a very hurry-up kind of offense to the back, and there's not much more to it. I mean, once he gets to the back, he can be a nightmare, but there's not much more to it than that. However, however, this opponent is like tailor-made for him because he goes through the exact same shit, and I suspect he's probably not as good. And so, you know, I'll just say this. If Rosas can't beat this guy, you've got real problems. Real problems. So well, we'll see what Vegas happens. Vegas is saying Rosas, uh, according to Caesars, minus 700, Luke. So yeah. are they yeah. giving him a layup to get well? I mean, this is one oh, yeah. you do. Oh, yeah. You have to be oh, careful. Yeah. True or false, you got to be extra careful in how you handle him. Yes. So when you say, are they giving him a layup? Let's be careful. I'm glad you asked that because let's talk about that for just a second. We I thought Sean Strickland was a layup for, for Izzy, and it looks like he wasn't. So what I mean to say is MMA is crazy and unpredictable. Based on what we think we know, it looks like this is a fight that is tailor-made for Raul Rosas. However, however, the guy he's competing against is 33, has many of the same strengths, although as you can see from the numbers, some clear deficiencies as well. Now, those are all based off of just the one fight he had against Cameron Simon, and so, you know, that went 
quite poorly for him, but you can see that they have a lot of the same features uh, in terms of the style of their game, but they're trying to give him somebody, and this is what we can say very matter-of-factly, who's going to accommodate him in terms of not striking a lot on the feet, going to want to make it a ground battle, and they're kind of banking on the hope, I suspect, that that kind of fortuitous matchmaking should lead him to victory. But as I said before, I do think he'll win, but if he doesn't, that would be the red flag of all red flags. So let's see how Saturday goes. I mean, do you take him out of rotation if he loses now because yes. the hype was so yes. large? Do not leave him there. If he cannot beat this guy, and what I'm not saying is a bad fighter. Again, it's the idea is that it's tailor-made. If he cannot beat a tailor-made opponent like this, he just simply is not. I mean, I, I don't think he is ready for it, but that would be the most definitive proof one could really uh, put together. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the other point I just wanted to ask you quickly on Shevchenko, do you think the UFC hopes Grasso wins, not just for Mexican star in her prime Noche, let's let's, you know, I'd be a slam dunk, but so Valentina can go breathe some life at 135 with the vacant uh, belt. Yes. I mean, you know, listen, they, like this idea that they've given up on Valentina, they just put her on the fucking video game. You know what I mean? <laughs> they just put her there next to Volkanovski. Oh, yeah. Now, of course, that that was in the making long before, I understand. But, like, you know, they believe in her. And, like, she's obviously been an institution herself at 125. But to your point, BC, I think she could still go, and I like the way you put it, breathe life into 135. And the UFC would love nothing more than to have a Mexican champion that they can parade yeah. around both in Mexico and here as a star to build around. There's just no denying. So, yeah, I do think they do. I'm going to get overly excited for Valentina Holly, too, and you're just going to have to deal with it, Luke. Okay, all right? Yeah. That fight wasn't that bad. Also, we should tell folks. It was I will a be good doing technical a post fight. Yeah, that was a good like, yeah, counterpunch technical. Yeah. I'll be doing a post-fight show for UFC Noche on Saturday night. So oh, join yeah. me, youtube.com slash morning combat for a post-fight show. Absolutely. Slam dunk. Luke, the only other fight of note, to be very fair, right? Like, we love this card. It is coming during a busy time. Paris two weeks ago, a pay-per-view last weekend. And at least there was the big result on the, so we didn't have to talk about how the, the card was kind of weak. But this is a good-ass fight. The alterweight division, Kevin Holland, Jack Della Maddalena, and Mr. Bob Dabalina there, Luke, is coming off a close fight against a non-world beater in a replacement situation last time. There are some truthers saying, look, that fight was not as close as people think, blah, blah, blah. Maybe you, uh, you just have an off-night new opponent. Who can use this win more, uh, better, you think, in the short term to make a run up the rankings? Like, like how? who is this fight bigger for in that regard as we look at it here? Gotta be De La Maddalena. Gotta be. Gotta be. Kevin Holland, to me, has already proved a lot. I don't think he's peaked, but he's proven a lot, like easily beating Michael Chiesa. And then before that, Santiago Ponzinibbio. And of course, he's got wins over Jacare and a bunch of other big names. Joaquin Buckley. Dude, Kevin Holland's great. He's yeah. a very good fighter. We already know that. And we think we know that about JDM. We think we see a guy who's got real potential. But this would be the ultimate proving grounds to this point in his career. And so... Both guys are still young. I don't think a loss in either direction is fatal. Um, but the guy who could get the biggest bump, I think, would be JDM. Now, let's also sort of posit here, if Kevin Holland beats J JDM and does it in like a striking fashion and it really knocks him out, this is not to say that would not be a huge boost for him. I do think it would be. It would be you know, a great win streak he'd be putting together, I think, three in a row at this point. And if he stopped him, holy shit, that'd be, that'd be very, very impressive. 
but it, there would be a little bit of well he beat a guy who we thought was good and maybe you know needs a little bit more seasoning is not quite there it wouldn't be the same as beating you know a top five guy who's established and the, the, sure. the whole thing there so both guys would benefit but JDM a little bit more just sort of given where they're at in the their respective careers I just had a uh dystopian back to the future part two vision of the future when uh colby covington and kevin holland fight for the welterweight title that's going to be a wild build luke but i do agree with everything you do i mean wild that's going to be a wild build um i agree with everything you said right there i mean look if jdm loses even in a competitive really good fight it almost would confirm suspicions from the last fight even though there were weird scenarios but but outside of that last fight which he was the better fighter, man, he has looked like a million dollars. So I think from that lightning bolt perspective, and he does come from Australia and there's, you know, he's got some fantastic pecs, Luke, as well. Okay. I mean, that guy guy's got a great rack, right? I don't know if it's big E level, but uh, you get my point there, but back to the serious side of it, dude, Kevin Holland could be really good, Luke. And it did feel like the last fight was sort of a confirmation that if he stops being the cowboy and taking the, the tough fights last minute for money and really stops trying to prove his toughness and to some degree stop with the in-cage antics, although I know trash talking and stuff fuels him, but we're seeing him get down to business lately. And when he gets down to business, uh, cutting down in weight has not stopped his gas tank from being a problem for people in terms of his wrestling. And dude, he's a one punch knockout threat at this weight. So I love this fight's insanely good. I mean, I don't yeah. feel there's enough buzz about it. This is a great ass fight where the winner's gonna gonna go somewhere. Gonna go somewhere. And I want to tell you about this too, if I may. Listen to this. I didn't realize these were his numbers. I didn't give them to Mikey. We don't have a graphic, but just very quickly, Jack De La Madalena. Listen to this shit. Strikes landed per minute seven point two seven. God damn, that is high. And then absorbed three point five. So he's two to one, basically a little bit more actually two to one on landed versus absorbed kevin holland 4.11 which is i think above average certainly good absorbs 2.96 so he eats a little bit more but he's fought much better competition over time and proven himself in sort of interesting ways neither guy a gigantic takedown threat although de la madalena 81 percent takedown defense um so i think he's a little bit better in that sense if he if holland wants to test him there but i don't think that he will i don't think that he will i think this is really going to be a striking battle and uh you know, Jack De La Madalena's nose is kind of all over his face, which tells you that's the style of fighting he prefers. Yes. He's gonna get he's gonna get everything he wants. We're gonna see if his hands are full uh, or if his cup runneth over on Saturday. Yeah, we'll find out if it's past the sugar on Saturday, Luke. How do you like that? Right, Joe Hatcham, poker past champion. The sugar. Uh, before nice. we get into our second topic, Luke, I want to talk about one of our best friends in this industry, somebody that I put inside of my body every single day. And I'm talking about AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Um, I don't I have read your read part for Luke. this. All right. Well, I, I can tell people that I drink it literally every oh, day. Oh, yes, I do. Yes, I do. Sorry. Yeah, uh, go for it. We, BC it and I both drink it every day. I gave AG1 a try because I was tired and taking so many supplements. I want a, you know, a single solution that supports my entire body and my overall nutritional basis every day. Yeah, I drink AG1 in the morning before working out. It makes me feel unstoppable. It's AG1 in the morning and a freak in the evening. Yeah, That's right. Giving right. your body nutrition that it craves and needs, covering, as I mentioned before, the nutritional bases. Yeah, indeed. All great athletes have one thing in common, Luke. They take care of their bodies. And a huge part of that starts with optimizing your whole body health. And Luke, I put it in my shake every morning, my protein fruit shake. 
and it's 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 really cleansing me out in a good way, Luke. Yeah. I'm happy to hear that you have regular dumps. A lot of them also drink. A lot of folks drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan with each daily serving, setting myself up for success. 75 high quality vitamins and minerals and ingredients that give me the daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. Yeah, and look, I got a lot of bad habits. In fact, you know what, Coach? Uh, I mean, sorry, Chef Cass told me to buy the Atomic Habits book, Luke, and I did. We'll see if I can turn my life around with it. But I'll tell you this. How about a micro habit that delivers macro benefits? Yeah, that's AG1, and it helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. That could be you, MK listener. All right. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. You can go to drinkag1.com slash morning combat. And that's drinkag and the number one.com. And that, and uh, yeah, check it out. Okay. Thank you very much. Let's get to topic number two, Luke. We already knew that Endeavor, the parent company of UFC had purchased WWE at an evaluation of 12.9 billion and had began the ideas of forming a super company and opening up on the stock market publicly. TKO, it all went down yesterday, making it official. Part of that, by the way, Vince McMahon, the first time he's not in, at least from a stock ownership standpoint, as the majority shareholder, the power seat since 1982 in, as it pertains to WWE. So a historic moment, but we saw Vince, Ari, Emanuel, Dana White, all the big players go down there and ring the bell, Luke, at the stock exchange. A lot of comments probably worth reacting to, but let's start off with this strategic question. Who, which does this benefit more, you think, in, in terms of the short-term and long-term, WWE or UFC, the, the unity and bringing this whole thing together? Um, I couldn't tell you. I yeah. don't know who it benefits more. It doesn't benefit me at all. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> it makes it awful for me. But uh, I, I think that, listen, they're not... I mean, I, it's dude, the UFC is being sued for antitrust violations. So, like, how much bigger could they get? I'm sure they could. But they're already, like, the dominant figure in the industry by a, you know, the most, the widest of margins. I don't know how pro wrestling works. So I do see AEW is on TV pretty regularly. I don't know to what extent they can compete with WWE, but it does seem like they have a bigger foothold in that industry than any second place competitor does in MMA. So I would actually argue that maybe there's a little bit more of an opportunity for WWE to increase their foothold than the other way around. But yeah. I do suspect that some growth together is, uh, is certainly possible and they're going to explore every opportunity. Luke, the combined company here, TKO with the two brands, evaluation of over 21 billion. So there's a lot of talk about the genius move and how Endeavor, uh, then WME, IMG, or whatever other letters were part of it. When they bought the UFC for just over 4 billion in 2016, there were the naysayers, you know, the idea that, that they'd never pay this debt back and that this would be an albatross. Turns out UFC was carrying the company through some very hard times in the end, including COVID, which love him or hate him on Dana, a big part. He, he I mean, Endeavor's going to owe him for life. How the new power structure is set up, just a reminder that Ari Emanuel would be the overall boss there. Uh, Dana will still run the UFC. Nick Khan, former super agent, will run WWE. Vince McMahon will be the guy above them and then Ari above that. So, Luke, um, it's hard to really know what this looks like until we get there. 
Are we going to see WWE commercials on UFC pay-per-view and vice versa? Probably. How, how far is too far, though? I think that's the key question if you're an MMA fan only. And obviously, I used to be a big you know, fan and journalist of pro wrestling and WWE until it kind of wore me out. I'm either all the way in or all the way out. I happen to be all the way out right now. So, you know, I'm not, I don't even really look at it all that favorably. Although once in a while, I'll check in and watch something and feel the, the old feelings again. But Luke, I, I think I echo what you're saying in a way where it's like, if anything, like this has not been a great year for UFC, but luckily it's been a very good, depending on how you look at it. Luckily though, the, you know, they've delivered on main events. We've gotten big fights. We've got John Jones back. He's going to fight Stipe. We're getting some big shit, but there's been watered down uh, cards across the board. There's the fear of that lawsuit. There's the whole fighter pay issue and there's power slap and all this other BS. Okay. By the way, I, so hold on. No, I'm, I'm setting up a point. So the point is Luke, it hasn't been great. And what that is starting to feel like is this is already the corporate era of UFC, right? Like money is winning out more than ever in some very aggressive ways. The raising of the ticket prices, all of that. Well, if you're going to join with WWE in this super thing and kind of benefit from each other and begin to bleed over in ways beyond just Rousey or Lesnar switching back and forth. I, what I don't want is this really badass thing, cage fighting and at the highest level in the UFC to become Disneyfied, to become microwave cheeseburger, fast food, to go extreme in that direction. Do you think we can trust the way the corporate structure is laid out and the recent history of endeavors, you know, putting their stamp on the organization that it's not going in that direction? Because obviously UFC can further their move into every household and become an even more legitimate power sport. I don't know if it's ever going to be a big four. Maybe this gets it there but there's still a certain part of the population that's like, no, no, no to cage fighting. This could get past that, but at what cost, at what price to the purity of this badass, uh, you know, brand where we're allowed to say the, all these F words and the word cocksucker in the corner between rounds and be okay with it. You know? Yeah. I mean, Disney doesn't care apparently. So I don't know, you know, I don't know what that has to do with anything, but listen, um, my preferences are well known. So I, I, I want to be as fair as possible. I would not start catastrophizing until we had really good reason to do that. Like we had really sort of uh, a, a massive change in the way in which matchmaking worked or they were just routinely giving fights to WWE stars in this kind of uh, almost grotesque way. If we're not there, then I think we should be very careful about being like, oh, this is bad for us. I mean, okay. I, I joked at the beginning that it is because I think any unity with pro wrestling is uh, nauseating for me, but you know, not necessarily some kind of deal breaker or something like that. On the other hand, I mean, this is what folks need to wrap their head around, right? And this is true of any monopoly in any industry. The more intense and sclerotic it becomes by virtue of just not having any competition challenge it, the less they're going to deliver on innovation um, of, the, uh, of the integrity of the product, the less they're going to be able and willing and even necessary that they're going to be able to stick to their core mission and the more they're going to try and derive and find uh, sources of revenue or value somewhere to extract. I mean, that's just what all monopolies do over time. They're less responsive to the market because they can be, and they're more willing and frankly eager to extract any source of wealth they can from the fans. I mean, you know, here's a great example. Be like, why are ticket prices so high? Now, in general, ticket prices are high everywhere, but this is what I mean. It's because 
you as the consumer don't have a choice. If you want to see the very best, let's say, lightweights in the world, I think Bellator has some of them, but in general, most of them are in the UFC. You don't really have a choice. This is where you have to go. So they can just do this shit and and people will, uh, or at least some version of the market out there, I don't know if it's hardcore fans, but certainly some version of the market will just pay for it. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, BC, the answer is let's, before we declare that the sky sure. is falling, let's see what they do. On the other hand, there is a long-term trend in place that any monopoly in any market is going to suffer from, and the fans are just going to have to deal with that one way or the other. Let's see what they do well, the to thing, extract though. wealth. The last point I was going to make, uh, I wasn't trying to interrupt you. I was only trying to compliment it, which was, if man, when Dana White was caught, you know, people say slapping his wife, but of course it was a back and forth. That whole thing. If you had told me by September of this year, they'd be doing this thing at the stock exchange and he'd be, you know, he said it's a lateral move, but it's actually something of a slight promotion to CEO that that would be in the cards. Boy, that I would, <laughs> I don't know that I would have seen that coming, but yeah. like there truly is zero penalty for being rich. If you're rich enough in this country, like people well, don't give a fuck. So there you go. Well, here's my fear. Okay. The fear you wrote raised about, you know, if we get into too many CM Punk type stupid fights, right? Uh, there is a way it could work in a big enough superstar, even in an attraction fight. If you took Roman Reigns, Luke, and put him in there against somebody, another famous ex-wrestler, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe once in a while something like that could hit, but I don't necessarily want that. I, we have enough of that in boxing right now, to be fair. We got too much of that at the moment, even though some is still hitting, right? Some of it doesn't suck, but we got too much of it in general. But you can't, I don't think you can watch this year as closely as we do and fans, you know, the fans that are on the level that watch all of our P1 content do and not look at this, that in this year, ticket prices are going like astronomically through the roof, like to a level of extreme, let's just ring it out at the same level that matchmaking is going in the other direction. And it's not that matchmaking is getting worse to offset the fact that they're paying the fighters up to a level that that you know critics would think is is decent or acceptable for their power position there but i don't think you can ignore those two things and wonder whether some of that is to start paying off the initial debt of of acquiring this like even though all the stuff ari is saying in all these interviews on cnbc and all these you know these money interviews he is saying and using numbers that make sense are impressive and they they did spin that sale of of ufc did endeavor into something even bigger now but at what cost the actual product? You know what I mean? Like, I, am I going to get too aggressively mad if Izzy does an Undertaker WWE entrance, even though I thought that was really lame? It's almost like, I want. do I want more theatrical and fun stuff? Yeah, in boxing, they're starting to really do that in the big fights, and it's great. I'd like UFC to be a little more open to that. But I don't want to just take WWE gimmicks and, and hit us over the head on that level, just like I don't want too many pro wrestlers being involved on real fight cards. But what about that other aspect that acquiring this until you can make back that money? I have to believe that the matchmaking and the raising of prices and the watered down of the overall quality, it has some connection to this TKO thing and this WWE thing, right, Luke? So those are the fears I have that essentially the public are gonna get gonna get a little bit less of the pie in terms of what the value was of, of putting your money down for a pay-per-view and all that. And you know that's the sacrifice of being able to put a fight card on almost every weekend to have a deal this big, but I'm nervous how this all comes together moving forward. One quote I do want to bring up to you, Luke, and get your reaction is Lawrence Epstein. What's his role in the UFC? Is it like head of money, Luke? Um, 
it was maybe chief financial. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I, okay, he may right. have been UFC CEO and now he got moved around. I have to double check. His quote that Mark Raymundi uh, tweeted out and did a nice story wrapping up all the details of this for ESPN was where we want to get is where every UFC fan is a WWE fan and every WWE fan is a UFC fan. Now, Luke, that can either make you cringe if you're like MMA purist, hardcore. Yeah, that's not going to work. But I have to say from experience, I, I get that that's their goal. And, and part of that, which is in Mark Raymonde's story for ESPN, is that, you know, they're talking about selling the idea to cities of you'll get a WWE pay-per-view and a UFC one in the same city, the same weekend. Think of the tourism push. Will that lead to more aggressive WWE fighters showing up on UFC broadcasts? Maybe, probably. But Luke, I don't actually think there's there's as big of a crossover as people think. And that comes from years being in the podcast journalist space and going to pay-per-views and big events. I mean, Dave Meltzer is proof in the fact that he covers MMA and pro wrestling on the same level in his Wrestling Observer newsletter that there, there is a, a, a crossover. But dude, go to a WWE pay-per-view. Like 75% of this audience is the comic book superhero movie like that side, the cosplaying side, like that's, you know, the, the, the parents with little kids side. Um, I get that that's their goal and ambition and putting, you know, and, and there's going to be crossover. It's going to create something. It's probably going to work for them in the end. But again, at what cost? And look, I don't think it's going to be that easy to make that Lawrence Epstein quote come true. Also, as I understand it, like, I don't think the pro wrestling fan base is as militantly right wing as the MMA fan base, right? No, no, it's it it, it isn't, and and it's also been a wholesome PG product WWE for a while now. Where you know, obviously, in the Attitude Era in the '90s, and then all even all the way through the first yeah. half of the of the 2000s, I mean, there was crazy blood, there was crazy storylines. You you're not getting a lot of that anymore. So I don't know how it's going to fly with some of the the way politics crosses into to UFC. Or Luke, maybe it really won't affect on the level of my stand on the street corner with a sign type of, you know, fear mongering is saying. Maybe it won't. I guess I just don't want to see it hit the level of where the matchmaking gets worse. What did you make of Ari Emanuel's comments on that interview show where somebody brought up the PFL getting the Saudi investment and the idea that that if that relationship works out, there could be an unlimited amount of money and that could rise fighter pay and PFL to really become a rival of UFC uh, Ari basically said in his response that they have the money to sort of fight that battle if necessary, right? It's kind of what he said. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a there's a battle between the Saudi sovereign wealth fund and the uh, the Emirates, essentially the UAE sovereign wealth, and then there's Qatari wealth as well. Uh, and, and it's interesting though, though, WWE has the relationship with Saudi Arabia, which that kind of makes it like you know they're able to get a little bit of the both there, but. I've said this before, dude. People think, oh, the Saudis have unlimited money. Well, they they basically do. That's true. But I'm going to say it one more time, and I hope folks are listening. There is no circumstance short of some scandal or catastrophe rocking uh, UFC or federal legislation or, you know, really losing on the merits of this lawsuit. Short of any of those things, there is no way no way that one or PFL or Bellator together can outcompete UFC. It cannot happen. It will sure. not happen. It's not possible. I don't give a shit what kind of check the uh, the Saudis are cutting them. It's not enough if the market forces are constrained 
because of the way in which a monopoly has taken over the industry with con fighter contracts and everything else. It's not fucking possible. That's what folks have to wrap their head around. Oh, they're going to get Saudi money. Great. Doesn't mean jack shit if the way in which they can control the industry is unchanged. And right now, it remains unchanged. So I can understand why Ari is quite comfortable and uh, confident they can sure. win that battle. I agree. They will yep. win that battle short of anything else intervening. What I took from his comments was him basically saying, well, you know, he did the whole, well, fire pay has been improving despite what people think. You know, it's been getting better and all this stuff. Yeah, but, but did I you think, see what happened hold in on, court? I, oh, I'm trying to say what I'm actually trying to say. What I'm trying to actually say is, Luke, it sounded to me like he was saying, um, if we have to pay to make sure we keep our people, we will. So, like, until we get to that point, we're not worried and, and we're happy with what we pay them now. Like, our dividends are great. You know what I mean? Like, that's uh, what he was really saying. Yeah, I understand. But even that's not true. Uh, John Nash was tweeting that, uh, quote, so, so the UFC filed, I'm not going to get into the legal ease of it, but a motion of petitioner to leave a, to leave to file a reply and brief in support of Rule 23F petition. You might be asking, what the hell does this mean? Here is what he wrote. Quote, kind of interesting how when making the rounds today to sell their new TKO stock, Endeavor COO Mark Shapiro boasted that fighter pay had grown faster than revenues, but in this legal filing, they concede the opposite, that it has lagged revenue growth. They had their they had filed uh, a motion that essentially agrees that their revenue that the the fighter pay has not kept up with revenue growth. They actually admitted it in this motion, or they're trying to get a larger brief where they can talk about it. And then the COO of Endeavor is like, "No, nah, it's totally kept up." Like they're just saying shit. In well, the dude, media. they're they're picking out whatever metric they want to lean on, right? They're 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 creatively lying, but they're also leaning on whatever fact. Obviously, money. Like, dude, like your money pays going to go up over time, no matter what, you know what I mean? So they're probably looking at, look, we gave more bonuses here and that proves that we're paying more. Like it's all BS. I'm they're just saying that they're, the I'm just level. telling you yeah. what they're saying in court flatly sure. contradicts what they're saying in the media. So oh, there you of go. course, of course. And that's why every time Ari says that it's like, I know you're probably leaning on a stat, but it doesn't seem to be the case. Um, we'll see if that lawsuit has a monster effect on all this. Um, I mean, are you hoping it does Luke? Are you hoping that lawsuit creates some chaos so that the i mean obviously you are if you want people to get paid what they deserve right i mean i'm not looking for chaos in the industry i don't think that's quite right and also there's like a weird scenario where like what happens if they you know they get these two-year contracts that the ufc has to abide by but there's no sanctioning bodies to kind of order certain fights i know everyone's got opinions about the sanctioning bodies and they are you know there's a i mean an ever-growing list of problems with them but they do at its core serve something of a valuable function. If the industry doesn't have that, it would be missing some key regulation in order to make it all work. So there's a lot of ways that this could not go well. But if you're asking in general, am I looking for fighters to get a bigger piece of the pie and have less constraint by promoters? Like, is there is there an imbalance? There is a fucking monster imbalance. Sure. And however you want to correct that, I don't care, but it needs to be corrected. Uh, topic number three, Luke, uh, the next big pay-per-view, right? We had 293 last weekend. How about 294? It goes down October 21st in Abu Dhabi. And the UFC has announced the four fights that'll make up what is expected to be a five-fight main card. Uh, there seems to be reason to believe the fifth fight is still coming. But here's where we stand right now. The main event, your lightweight title rematch, Islam Mahachev, Charles Oliveira, Paulo Costa and Hamzat Chamayev in a very important positioning fight for middleweight title futures there. How about Magomed and Kalayev finally back taking on Johnny Walker? Is he still the dark horse for the title in this division after fighting Blahovich to a title draw and then kind of being forgotten about? 
and Nasruddin Imavov against Ikram Alaskarov. Luke, that's a, there's a lot of oh, you know, vowels and Vs in there. That's going to get you fired up for all the right reasons. How, how do you grade this four-fight main card so far? Um, so far, A+, plus, uh, or A-, minus, maybe. I mean, yeah. it's fucking yeah. great. I don't have... I mean, you'd have to be. I mean, I'm a salty dog, and even I'm telling you, like, I think it's great. Like, it's it feels like really, a major, really great. Kind of feels like a major, right? This feels like yes, a, like a it really definitely feels big like one. a big one. They, they, they listen. You know, like it or don't, but the cards they take to Abu Dhabi have of re, of late, they've been bangers. They've been absolute yeah. bangers, and this is certainly one of them. Just need one more piece to the puzzle. Those people get what they pay for, Luke. They do. They get the big stuff. Same same thing when WWE goes. They start calling people out of retirement to try to please Saudi, and it, and it works out there. Uh, the confirmed undercard bouts at the moment are Tim Elliott against Muhammad Mokayev, which I love. Jin Yu Fry against Victoria Dudakova. Bruno Silva against Shara Butdin Magomedov. Luke, if you had to play matchmaker here and provide a fifth fight to really make this a dominant A-plus, huge major across the board, what is this missing? Give me something here. So I saw somebody, I cannot remember who it was, so I apologize because I cannot remember it, but I saw somebody suggest on Twitter uh, Armin Saryukin versus Benil Dariush. Oh, yes. Boy, boy, that'd be a fucking great one, huh? (laughs) Stop. Hammer time, Luke. Yes. Wow. Now, you know, Dariush the Persian was up in there trying to proselytize Christianity to all the Muslims. I'm not sure they appreciated that or not, but um, nevertheless, nevertheless, what a sick fight that would be. That is representing the brand right there. I was, I was, I was interested in that, Luke. Um, yeah, I'd take that instantly. Do you think though, or let me ask you the question? I mentioned Shevchenko could be in the running for a bantamweight title shot if they ever figure that out. What are they waiting for, Luke? Is it going to show up on the MSG card, the final card Ooh. in December? Could it show up on this one? What are you thinking for that? Ooh, I. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know. I don't. Probably more New York than Abu Dhabi. Yes. Okay. Yes, just based on timing alone. But um, you know they're giving it. To I honestly Ollie. hadn't you thought about it. that. You know, home will be in that fight, Luke. Home Pennington Probably. three. <laughs> no, no. Probably. All right. Uh, let's keep this moving. There. Um, topic number four, Luke. Fight news and announcements. I'm going to want you to. Gra- what grading system are you going to use to show me whether you care about these fight announcements or you don't? Letters, uh, I'll give um, it. Uh, I'll give it uh, one to five stars. All right, here we go. Five stars being great. Luke, how about six stars for this one? UFC Vegas 80 is October 7th, a fight night card. Carolina Kovalkiewicz against Diana Belbita. Yeah, brother. Two and a half, three stars. Oh, how, how, I mean, how freaking dare you, Luke? Kovalkiewicz won't go away. She's coming on. I mean, come on. I will say, what does she have, like three wins in a row yeah, or something? She won't something stop insane. winning. Yeah, she's leaning on technique and toughness. You notice she goes, spa- I say this as a compliment. She goes spaz like once around. She just starts coming off with like eight punch combinations and like, you know, after she gets hit, she's going after it again after that long losing streak. It's interesting to see the same night. How about, oh, oh my God. Alex Morono, Joaquin Buckley. Ooh, bro, bro. What three and a half stars, but that could almost be a four. New Manzo will make sure that that is an, uh, a banger. Yeah, like, I, I do like need that to be fight, in main yes. for that. Yeah, indeed. Uh, let's go over to November 11th. It is UFC 295 Madison Square Garden. Jared Gordon versus Marco Madsen. Wow, that's kind of so. I didn't see that one coming, but I like it. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Three stars, definitely. Um, with potential to go a little higher. That's a good one. I like it. I don't love it, but I like it. Let's see if Mark, let's see what Marco Madsen has left here, Luke. Let's see if, you know, you, you stop believing in him, right? He's a little old. He's yeah. a little old. 
UFC Vegas 81 goes down October 14th. Fight night, Terrence McKinney versus Chris Duncan. Yeah. Three stars. Fine dude, fight. Mc, McKinney's on, on pace for like 14 fights this calendar year. I know. That dude is just insanely active. I hope it works out for him. All right. Our final topic, Luke, and the five here. Uh, we're going to coincide here with, with some great coverage this week on CBSSports.com slash MMA. Uh, looking back. Five years removed from not just 2018 for the UFC, but of course the big flag on top of that mountain, the biggest fight in pay-per-view history, Conor McGregor versus Habib Nurmagomedov, UFC MMA 229. Biggest, yeah, the MMA history. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Luke, this is coinciding with, with some great content we're seeing this week, looking back at how much things have changed. So here's a recap. The company sells to Endeavor in the middle of 2016. 2017 was a hangover year. Do you admit this looking back, Luke? There were no sure. Big- it wasn't. I mean, and also again, 2016, you either got Ronda or Connor once a quarter. So it was crazy. It was crazy. 2017 also, that was the year where Connor stayed away, fought Floyd. So that, you know, even though UFC was a part of that, it just that year didn't hit. You know, GDR versus Holly Holm was sort of like on the poster for what that year was all about in the end. 2018, though, Luke, they were back with a bang in year in full year two for Endeavor. We got to see this machine running. It doesn't hurt when Conor McGregor comes back and not only happens to UFC 229, but that April UFC 223 card. Luke, I have a piece out just looking back at the five biggest events and biggest moments of the year. And number three on my list is just that in April UFC 223, because you could you can look at Conor McGregor versus Habib in the bus and the dolly as being almost bigger than what happened, you know, on the fight night that night with Habib winning the vacant lightweight title against late replacement, late replacement, late replacement Al Iaquinta. But Luke, if you take that as a whole, the dolly incident, Habib cornering the go Artem Lobov, Conor getting on a jet plane. Rose is scared to fight, rightfully so. Ray Borg and Kiesa have glass in their eyes, and they pull out. And then you got Max Holloway and Anthony Pettis kind of half announced for the main event in some ways after Tony Ferguson, six days before the card, slips on a court in the Fox Studios. Dude, like that is one of the craziest weeks in the history of this sport. I remember being uh, here on H Street with my wife at a dinner, and then I saw the news broke that Tony was out after tripping on a wire and i'm like dude what the fuck is happening here and then i actually went to fight week i was at that media day where connor eventually showed up and the mac Life guys let him in and then all hell broke loose i was actually taking the subway back from barclays to the i had to do my radio show at, for times uh in near Times square essentially for sirius xm and um and well, i'm looking at my phone being like you know, Connor's doing this, that, and the other. And I'm like, dude, holy shit. Yes. Like, this is insane, everything that's happening. You know, and then all the obviously building up to later on what they had at UFC 223. It was just, it was just, it was a crazy, 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 crazy ass time. And obviously that, that meeting between Habib and Connor, remember they had the, were you, were you at the Radio City Music yes. Hall? Press the weirdest that? press conference of all time. All so time. Dark. Connor was like so kind of drunk and there was no yeah. fans and it was, Dude, was he was mean and... as shit. Like he was like in a dark, like st- like trance. Luke, he was going after. And he was him, like, huh? "I shit on bus," and I'm like, "BC's done that a million times." Indeed. I mean, that's that's happened. It was before. almost like he thought, I, "I the only chance I have to break this guy is to go down dark and dirty and cha- you know method act and channel the dark side there, Luke." And he tried. It was and weird, dude, but don't don't forget, it, by the way, 
Max Holloway came in on late notice. Remember he had that TV interview and they pulled him from the car. Is that the same week? He was put I don't, for medical reasons. I don't know reasons. that was the same week. Oh, that was the first Ortega fight it was supposed to be, right? Yeah. I, I confuse yeah, yeah. that sometimes. But he accepted and then got pulled off because of what? The weight cut? Uh, Yeah, he was supposed to fight. He was briefly going to fight um Habib. This was going to be in Brooklyn, but then it ended up being Ally Quinta, you know, the whole thing. But I was going to say it, the poison carried all the way through to 223 and then obviously we saw what habib did afterwards sure. and we were there i was there i think you were there too right i was there in the oh, media not only tent was i there i was in the front row and don't forget after habib did the flying drop kick on dylan dennis you know habib's co-manager with the russian name i always forget it he got handcuffed on top of my laptop because you know it was a brawl and people were trying to grab people and they just I, the cops just thought he was in the middle of it so they handcuffed him and i got a video of it. i should have played it right here luke where it's just that was one of the more Okay, I say this and people look back and they don't have the same fear or feelings because they weren't in the arena. But if you were in the arena, that felt like we were going to a palace brawl situation. It felt like because I was watching like five, six people at a time jump the barrier and get you know, into the melee outside the cage. And then out of the corner of my eye, Connor's fighting members of Habib's team. You know, and like, it was like, I literally thought that was going to be the moment MMA was taken off of like TV and fans were going to get, you know, brawling like, Remember Bo versus Galata at Madison Square Garden, 1996, that big brawl yes. between the African-American fans and the Polish fans. Like I thought we were on that way between the Irish fans and the Russian fans. Luke. Like it Dude, was you get straight up race wars in, in boxing. It's crazy. But uh, I, I will say in the, I, I was in the media tent, so it didn't feel quite, I mean, it did feel tense. It felt tense, but not quite as tense as that. But I'm just sort of pointing out, like, look at how long that line of poison Yes. continued and then when connor excuse me not connor when habib came back to the media tent and was like you know this guy insulted my religion insulted my family like you know and the commission's gonna be mad at me you know i was you know i just i apologize to the commission but you can't do that like he was straight up well also, and i remember chuck my dad's gonna remember, kill me my dad's gonna yeah. kick my ass for this he's like, <laughs> he's like my dad's gonna kick me and i remember i was talking to uh chuck mindenhall because i was sitting next to mindenhall and we were there in the media tent and then we did an interview with the submission radio guys, like, like trying to process, like, what the fuck just happened? And, dude, Chuck was right. He's like, dude, that was cold from Habib. Like, he yeah. had a steely-eyed, yes. you know, ice water in his veins determination about that. It was one of the darkest, but I will say biggest chapters, frankly, in UFC rivalry history. Yeah, that's what you got to say, like... There's a reason why this was the biggest fight of all time in MMA. 2.4 million pay-per-view buys. And remember, that brawl, like, that that didn't happen before the fight. That didn't affect the pay-per-view sales. But this was this exceeded DC versus Jones, in my opinion, of how intense the rivalry was. I mean, it got to crazy levels. Connor in handcuffs. Connor after the April Dolly incident. Connor going to court dates in New York. But, Luke, that's what people focus on. But there's a reason why it bested all those other ones on that graphic. And it wouldn't have gotten there, in my opinion, if it didn't have that Ali Frazier one element where Connor was the lightweight champion of the world, got stripped of the belt due to inactivity, but never lost it in the cage. But then the next guy that came up after him was unbeaten and looked like, you know, an absolute world beater. It's very rare, Luke, as big of a as big as a perfect storm as Mayweather McGregor was in its own way. It's very rare when you can get a fight that means so much. And the fact that they were both in like the top three pound for pound to the title spot there, but also be this dark, insane, war, like deep rivalry. 
I don't, I mean, I don't know if you're going to see that again because both elements were there at the same time, you know? Yeah. You know, I don't think that you will. And I remember being like, that was a lot of people's introduction to the idea that the Dagestani guys, the, the Muslim guys, they don't fucking play games. Like yeah. they have a old world style. Not that I necessarily share this worldview. I do not, but they certainly, they have a certain view of what kind of discourse is acceptable. And if that discourse is broken, there is hell to pay. You know, they have a very different way of learning about it. But, you know, it's kind of funny is that because of experiences like that, all of us got real nervous when Kamaru and Colby had their first kind of media beef. They were doing a uh, they were on stage after like a post UFC weigh in show or whatever it was or, you know, post UFC results show. And they had to be separated. Remember, Karen Bryant was there and everything. And we were like, dude, this is going to turn into some kind of like. I don't know, like weird race thing, and it's going to be terrible. And it it didn't actually get that bad. It never really lived up to it. Like it just goes no. to show that moment in time between the 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 first that was Conor McGregor at his peak too, to a degree, right? Because coming off the Mayweather fight, he was larger than life, colliding with this other different side of the world, different kind of fan base, and it had all these fault lines that were cultural religious yes you know you name it like and if, it was a powder keg and if you were a casual fan who didn't really know habib yet he looked like angry bad guy foreign villain in a movie right you know what i mean because yeah. connor is the fan favorite in a way yet he's being so dirty he's acting like the bad guy and in like think about how badass habib is scores like the biggest win of his life instantly runs at McGregor's corner, throws his mouthpiece, hurdles the cage and drop kicks Dylan Dennis and starts a <laughs> massive melee that like, you know, I mean, look, they could have, you could lose your job for stuff like that. You know what I mean? You could be arrested. It could have led, like I said, to a full brawl in the crowd and put a stain on the sport. Luckily it didn't. And I give credit to the, the police on staff. They, they put that out quick from being as extreme as it was, but I mean, members of his team jump in Connor, almost like a movie scene, dude, in the you know arena that night, I'll never. Is, it was like it, I'll never forget that. That was the most bizarre, yeah. like action movie turns into real life moment I've ever seen. Yeah, and you know, I remember the Strike Force brawl in Nashville. I remember that very distinctly. That wasn't nearly as bad. Like it was. I'm not saying that was great. You know, it wasn't great, but it wasn't. It was on CBS, and you know, and obviously Gus Johnson didn't do anyone any favors, being like these things happen in MMA. We're like Gus, uh, buddy, gentlemen, but gentlemen, but, but you know. If you're looking at melee versus melee, it wasn't nearly as bad, but it sort of told you maybe certain rules don't apply to UFC in the same way that it might apply to other promoters. But more than that, how much more accepted MMA was. And I think also we were looking like if, if you didn't live through the 2008s and the 9s and then the early 2010s, you just don't appreciate how sensitive it was about like whether MMA was going to be accepted into the mainstream. This was the conversation around everything and eventually we let that go around 2014 when rousey was around we're like wow we got women doing this now on a high level and everything you know but but in when when the brawl happened this was still a very relevant conversation and uh and it you know obviously changed strike forces trajectory it changed the trajectory oh, yeah. of mma on tv for a little while the good news is it didn't set back mma but you know i think that was the first time since the strike force brawl bc we were all like uh oh, what is this yeah, gonna mean for MMA? It was borderline. Luckily, it was it was teetering. Yeah, Mikey, can you throw to that full screen one more time of the biggest pay-per-view fights? You want to see Conor McGregor's legacy in full here, Luke? Look at that, brother. Right? Damn. 
I mean, damn, you know what's not on there? UFC 100 or 200, Luke. Connor has a Mayweather-style grip on the top five right there. Yeah, there's just no denying how big he has been and how transformative. But look at the dates on these things, too. 20, 21, and then 16. Uh, and then obviously 18. Uh, not much since 2021, huh? But that's not That list doesn't even involve the Aldo fight, the, the Mendez fight. I mean, yep. the... Diaz won, which was, I think at the time, that may have been like number two all time at the time UFC 196 happened. So McGregor owns that top 10. I think Brock still lingers maybe. Um, Luke, to close out this idea of 2018 and looking back, in some ways, a lot has changed. In some ways, things are still the same. Now, 2018 was the second year of the Dana White Contender Series, which was a you know a big major change between now and then. I did a little bit of uh, digging on the statistics here. There were 28 title. I'm sorry. There were uh, 14 title fights in 2018. That means, sorry, that number's wrong. There were 28 fighters in 2018 who fought for either an interim or undisputed championship, and half of them are no longer on the roster. Hmm. Now, another four or five probably won't be soon, guys like Dillashaw, Cejudo, Stipe, maybe even John Jones. But, Luke, it gets even crazier when you go champions that were still champion then five years ago, zero. The only one who still has a title is John Jones, but he took off three years and moved up to another weight class. So what does that tell you about even 25, 30 years into this game how crazy this sport still is. Wow. Dude, this is what I mean. First of all, it tells you about the enduring uh, capabilities of John Jones. That's that's one thing it tells sure. you about. But secondly, this is what we talk about all the time. You know, it's always funny to me when people question like my MMA fandom. I'm like, motherfucker, I've been here longer than you've been here, and I'll be here long after you're gone. You know, this is what we talk about when we talk about turnaround and turnover. These guys that fans fall in love with take a long time to become stars, then they finally hit for a little bit, and then they lose, and then when they start losing, often they can't get it back. And then the fan base just turns over because their guys aren't on top for very long. It's very, 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 very difficult and exceedingly rare. Forget being a champion, just to stay relevant in MMA over the course of five years. And at these life, again, I'm making it up about a life cycle. It could be three, it could be seven, I don't really know. But you can, you can get a good sense of evaluating MMA in five-year increments because the beginning and end of them are radically different. And that tells you about the fan base and the churn that, that gets experienced with it. It's a weird dynamic, but it's the one that exists. I mean, if you even if you look at who's champion right now in 2023 and you want to talk about who actually has an ongoing true title reign, is it really just Alexander Volkanovsky right now, Luke? Like, you know what I mean? Because even like Zhang Weili won the title, you know, won the title, lost it, won it back. And there's been so many upsets of late. That there's really very few, even in the moment right now. Obviously, Islam's trying to build a, a run here. Leon Edwards on top. But to see Adesanya lose it twice in 10 months is crazy. I think mm -hmm. we can look back here at a full screen of who was on top just five years ago back in 2018. Here's CBSSports.com's countdown for the Fighter of the Year award, Luke. Uh, we don't have that one present, but it was Amanda Nunes who defeated Rocky Pennington and then moved up in weight and knocked out uh, Chris Cyborg to win a title in the second division. We have a look back, though, Luke, at which of today's stars debuted just five years ago. Hmm. And there you see it. Three that reached the championship. Pavlovich, Corey Sanhagen could be next. I mean, Luke, what about the rest of the names from Johnny Walker through Kevin Holland? Do you see any future title reigns in that group? 
Mackenzie Dern kind of always remains a point of intrigue if she can turn it around. Macy Barber is very young, so we'll never know. Johnny Walker, I think, you know, he had some real ups and downs, but has appeared to be, and you know, is in a very op- wide open division, let's say. And then Sanhagen's an interesting one. Uh, Pavlovich, uh, you know, I'll say this, like Bryce Mitchell and Kevin Holland, I don't know that's possible. Um, Barber, I think, has a long way to go too. But from Dern to Pavlovich, could you write them off as title uh, uh, or potential title winners? I don't think you could, right. but they're not shoe wins either. You know, yeah. it's a it's a tough div- it's 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 really tough, and you can see, man, it's just <sighs> success in MMA is hard to get anything, and it's even harder to stay on top. A very very fast moving sport. And to end the conversation, Luke, my big five moments were, of course, two twenty nine Connor and Habib. Don't forget DC International Fight Week. Knocking out Stipe Miocic in round one, Mm. not only becoming champ champ, joining only McGregor for simultaneous at that point, but that was the only way he was going to kind of get out of the John Jones shadow that was above him, never beating his career rival, right? To to beat him to becoming a two division champion. And he did. Of course, then you had 223 and all the all the craziness. How about number four, Luke? The 25th anniversary Denver card in November that year. And the Chan Sung Jung versus Yair Rodriguez, the one second left in what was already a very good action fight. The craziest, I mean, I, no, that's the craziest finish of all time. That is, dude. It, it probably is, yeah. It, Yair down on the cards, ducked a punch, throws a haymaker blind elbow, and knocks one of the biggest, one of the greatest action stars of all time out cold with no time left. And then number five uh, was. Um, Dustin Poirier against Justin Gaethje won, which was one of two Fox main events for Poirier in a three-month span where he knocked out both Eddie Alvarez in the rematch and three months earlier, Justin Gaethje in what I still think is the best action fight of this great lightweight era over the past decade. So It was a lot pretty of great fun. one, yeah. A lot of fun there to look back, Luke. Thank you for taking part. Let's close with this. Uh, we give our fans a chance every Wednesday to, uh, you know, Force us to put their artwork up on the fridge. Hey, look, fan subs ain't for everybody, right? But for those deep P1s, how about for the average Joes of the world? How about for the donk of the years that have become something in these parts to us family members? We call this fan submissions. Fan You've got mail. Viewers. Yes, we do. And, you know, at the very least, we could at least make fun of our fans. Luke, morningcombat at gmail.com is your path to get here. How about John? He says, hey, Luke and BC, would love to know what you think of the tattoo I got a while back from artist Alex Zahorsky at the shop in Port Jervis, New York, as a trade for tickets to Bellator NYC at MSG. It was a super fun event. I think I came out pretty good on the deal, though. Keep up the award-winning stuff. I'm a day one donk. It's John Baltz. Luke, are you going to send John Baltz to hell in a Mr. Um, Hebas level here or no? No, no, no. This is a well-done tattoo. Uh, it's sort of a mix between like portrait realism and um, American traditional. But so I, the concept's a little different, but it's well executed. Uh, again, I, I don't like yellows and greens and tattoos. I don't think they look very good, but that's me personally speaking. I'd say this one, I mean, that skull is very well done and the saturation everywhere else is pretty well done and the line work's pretty well done. So it's, it's, it's a conceptually different tattoo, but it's, it's well done. 
All right. Happy to hear that. Well done, Donk. I do like that purple color, Luke, if that means anything. And he's from Port Jervis, New York, which is the uh, New York, New Jersey border town on I-84. So I've taken many a poop in the McDonald's right, right off that exit. Luke. So hopefully <laughs> that guy, you know, caught a little on him or something. Wow, that's gross. Let's go to Mark. Good afternoon, Luke in BC. This is my goat, Artem, obviously named after the best man to ever do the damn thing. Artem Love, tell me what you think, Luke. And if you guys are ever down to London, Ontario, I'd love to have you out at my restaurant to whip you up some food. It is at the the Cast Iron Kitchen 2021 on Instagram. Cheers, boys. I'm a day one. It's Mark Paquette. And I'm probably not related to Jay, but who the fuck knows what my dad did? <laughs> um... I like it mostly. I mean, I would say that, like, and first of all, it's a very difficult tattoo to do. It's very difficult. So my only issue with it is you can see the hair well uh, differentiated on the sort of bridge of the nose and then the forehead, but not really anywhere else on the body. And then, you know, I realize it's eating hay, but it, like, from the bottom of the nose around, it's not as well done. So it's really well done in parts, and then the rest of it is kind of not um it's a i would say this it's overall a good tattoo this is not a bad tattoo but not every part is as good as the other part all right well i love the story and i do wonder luke if his dad is also jay paquette's dad which would make these paquette's brothers all right in arms <laughs> Don, donks in arms there uh i do love having a a, a goat tattoo named artem that's amazing that is me. that is great that is yeah great. I admit that's that. that's a guy who gets it right there let's go over to phil he says what's up donks not necessarily a fan sub maybe more of a have you seen this shit but on a recent episode of the ringer mma show with helwani pizzi carroll and chuck mindenhall a question was asked about which journalist or media member would win in an mma tournament while they determined that ekc lighty would mop i'm sorry ekc lighten would mop the floor with everyone our boy luke did give a shout out from pizzi although chuck quickly provided a foolproof game plan for defeating luke do we have the video here before I keep reading? Do you know who, though? Fucking Luke Thomas is a big fucker. He's a big like, dude. Mm. I was like, just thinking just, that. I think you just got to you guys got to drag him into the deep water, and I think that's about the two-minute mark for him. Like, So I think you just kind of avoid contact, let him wear himself out, and you start putting <sighs> the jab on him. <laughs> Luke, that's our, that's our quarterback just sending you to hell right there. I can't. I mean, here's the problem. I would love to say he's wrong. He's fucking right. Like, it would not take long. You know, I don't, I'm 44, for fuck's sake. Like, my fighting days are long over. Luke, I will say you've had many a great zinger when it comes to, like, our MK documentaries or the intros to, like, our pregame previews or room service diaries. The way your comedy sort of subtly bounces off of mine has always been brilliant. That comment you made to Frivola when he's like, damn, you're bigger than I thought. And you're like, well, it's mostly old and fat. And you have like a dejected look like you sold it. Like that was just chef's kiss. That was beautiful. That moment. I'm good for I'm not good for many things, but uh, funny self-loathing. I can do pretty well. There we go. Uh, Phil closes by saying, how about this? Although Chuck quickly proved. Oh, wait. I personally think Pete Carroll would be a great addition to the MK extended family and possibly even a great RSD interview. The man he can would. put away some Guinness, so he'd be great for the pregame preview. Love all you guys. Uh, Luke, I've never met him, but I'm. Uh, he seems to be a fun, colorful guy. And if he's he is, know, he's funny. He's fun to be around. And what did we learn when we went to England? I mean, obviously, he's not British. He's Irish. But I'm saying. Those dudes from across the pond, they they they're better at conversation than a lot of the American yes. donks. So uh, I think according I think to Shab, he is from Britain, though, Luke. 
one time. I'm not doing a skater bit. I'm just telling you like the truth. I'm I'm, I'm moving truth. Okay, so what did what did Brendan say this another. time that I am not aware of? I, I it's not this time. It was like two years ago, but I think oh, he was okay. like, oh yeah, that, that that English guy, right? About Pizza Carroll? Yes. Yeah, definitely not English. Definitely okay, not there English. you go. Uh, this one's from Brian. He says, uh, "There's no, I'm sorry, there's no text in here, but Corpse Grinder, the vocalist in Cannibal Corpse, does this cool thing where he wins a bunch of claw games on the road and donates all the toys to the children's hospitals." Look, we've been through this before. What are they? What do these people want from me? I'm not still. I'm not, I don't have to like abortion rock just because this guy's got a charity. Well, I will say, you know, you got you think that all these guys are disturbed and it's sort of proof that the music is kind of separate from it all. Okay, true or false, one of the guys is deeply disturbed. True or false? He's not in the band anymore. They like they oh, they're, okay, they're, but he was. He was, Luke. He, he was. All right, oh, okay. All of your favorite rock musicians are all super <laughs> rational and fucking spulk, uh, Spock like Vulcan with well, their uh, their train of thought. I always liked R. Kelly a lot, Luke. So, you know, I can forgive a lot of things, apparently, right? Yeah, all right. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> Anyway, Corpse Grinder is a uh, is a great dude, and um, yes, that's what he does. All on tour, he uses the claw machines to get stuff, and then when he gets home, he gives it all to children's hospitals. It's pretty great. Dude, those claw machines are not easy, and this guy's like the master. It seems that he it. apparently is like you know the Mister Miyagi of that shit. He can just go in there and, <laughs> and get them all. You catch the fly like Daniel yeah. did. Uh, so here's Scott, and he says uh, Scott Luke here from Las Vegas. I'm visiting Cumberland, Virginia. Not much to do on this farm, but took a little hike in the woods, banjo playing, and came across this magnificent feather-like Yankee Doodle Dandy. Probably got some bird virus, but anything for the MK, fight on. So, Luke, he's That's got a turkey a, feather, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he's only doing this to show us what he looks like in the tank top. And, you know, Scott, impressive, bro. You know you you know where the gym is, bro. But, Luke, this feels forced. This is like a Instagram stunt, right? Well, he put a turkey feather in his hat and then, you know, he called it macaroni. So there yeah, he did. I mean, the guy's jacked his shit. Let's be honest, though, right? Yeah, good for him. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, Scott. Here's Rob from Long Island. He's got a video that explains it all. Good morning, dogs. Happy Friday. Long Island Rob here. I don't have any fancy graphics or music or anything like that. I just got a question for you. Pending the retirement of Jones, out of the four horsemen of that heavyweight division, who do you got touching the title first? Pavlovich, Gon, Almeida, or Aspinall? Let me know. Shout out LT, shout out BC. Keep doing the Lord's work. Uh, this doesn't feel like a fan sub, but it's a great question, Luke, from uh, Long Island Rob, who's trying to, I mean, he's making his move, right? He's going after it. What is there. what is Long Island Rob wearing? He's got a do-rag <laughs> and like a polo shirt. <laughs> And it's like, uh, Rob, you white, buddy? I'm not sure what's what's happening there. I put peanut butter and cheese in the same sandwich. Look, <laughs> okay? You know, you could, two worlds collide, rival nations. Um, Who's right here on the, if both of these guys retire, who will grab the belt first, in your opinion? Problem is, man, I've been wrong on, it's, okay, so partly it's just who's got the favorable matchmaking in terms of uh, not getting easy opponents, but like getting to it first, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to say Aspinall. Has next. Aspinall. You think he could? So, so do you think it would need the UFC to make Aspinall Pavlovich next, and and then he would win it there? Is that where where you're going? Yeah, something like that. He might win it with takedowns, or you know, okay. ground and pound, or submission, or something like that. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I, it's hard to. It's dude. It's like this is the, the like honestly. I saw Jack Slack going back and forth with fans on Twitter because everyone is like, oh, it's John Jones versus Stipe. This is amazing. And his argument has been, well, these two guys are like well past their prime. How good can it be? I'm sort of somewhat in the middle. I don't think they're like they're completely shot, but I understand the argument that like 
you know, you're not getting anything approximating the best Stipe or even the approximating John Jones. The, the more interesting part is the Pavlovich gone Aspinall side, but I don't know how that's going to play out. I agree with you. Uh, I love Almeida as a dark horse, Luke. I just, do you think the striking is good enough? No, but everything else is. Everything yeah, else is. That's to be interesting. All right. Uh, Luke, I got to press pause on the fan subs. I got to catch a bird. So I'm going to be right. Friday night, 9.30 p.m. Eastern on Showtime. It is Showbox, the new generation, live and direct from San Antonio. So catch Ooh. me outside. How about uh, uh, Luke Thomas, we want people to buy our merch at morningcombat.store. The average Joe limited time collection is still there. Hey, look, guys, seriously, if you can take this off the shelves, we can get more of this great average joe art and reach out to him on social media great guy look he nurses uh an injured dog he's got 10 cats this guy i love this guy i really seriously buy his merch yeah yeah please i don't know i mean i don't know if he knows chris hansen luke that could be a deal breaker but i still eat at subway so you know what do i know what do have I have a seat know, over right? there have a seat over All there right. <laughs> there it is right there thank you to mikey warmile on the ones and twos check out our great content right now at youtube.com slash morning combat Pre-game preview for Noche UFC. We got Matt Frivola on the couch, and he was really good, guys. Talking about so Patty Pimblet, right? Really good stuff there, Room Service Diaries. And Luke just chat with Eric Nixick, and that's a must-watch. Friend of the program, big win for Sean Strickland. Find out more for yourself. Luke, any final words? Don't forget, Saturday night, UFC Noche post-fight show. I got you covered. All right, we'll hit up the rest of the uh, fads, fan subs maybe later this week. If not, we'll see you back next Wednesday. Thank you very much for all the parties and all the people that pay us. Take care of yourselves, guys. We're out of here. Let's do it. We'll be back on Friday. We, I, I gotta go. I mean, what do you want me? To, what do you guys want me to do? Just, just keep sitting here, like just you know, you know. Oh, oh, oh chill. Oh, Welcome, oh. class. <laughs>